Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to another exciting edition of the Recruiting Blast Parastyle Podcast. We have Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, National Recruiting Analyst, joining us on the show today to talk all about USC recruiting, a little bit of the aftermath of what happened for the class of 2012 and looking forward already getting ready for the class of 2013 USC has a junior day coming up so we'll talk about some of that stuff if you have any questions or comments we love to hear from you podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or call 206-888-6755 leave us a voicemail a short one please we'll play it on the air for you you can also leave us a speak pipe message on peristylepodcast.com just click on the left side of the page and leave us, a, leave us a voice message right there on your computer you don't even have to call in and use your phone and like i said we got gerard martinez joining us he's trying to catch up on his sleep a little bit gerard how you doing man what's up i'm doing good i'm doing good that that was another long intro i thought maybe you forgot about me there for a second no I, how could i forget about you you're the star of the show you're, you're here <laughs> i'm the star of the show okay <laughs> okay, I thought the start of the show was the uh, you could the, the new uh, call in and you could leave your voicemail right on the site on the Peristyle site. That's like uh, that's kind of like the new feature now. I mean, you know, it's out with the old, in with the new. Now it's about technology. It is. It's it's like flying cars on the Jetsons. You know, we still don't have those yet. But no, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, you can leave a voicemail right there if you don't want to call in. Just click on it, and we had a we had a speak pipe message on the show yesterday. So we did one half for the regular podcast. No recruiting speak speak pipe questions this week uh but we do have a couple of voicemail questions for you gerard fire away uh all right well let's go to let's see here's the first one having to do with uh one of the running backs that usc did not get for this class hey ryan uh hope all is well wanted to start off by saying thank you for the show uh it is awesome uh and the website uh so thank you and the team for that do have a question uh, hearing that DJ Foster, the recruit to ASU, is trying to back out of his LOI because his position coach is no longer uh, with the team, with the staff, and, you know, I know USC was essentially his second team of choice. Um, you know, I know Arizona was also in the mix, but seeing that our running back situation, which I do think is kind of blown out of proportion because we do have quality backs. Um, but I thought, you know, is there a chance that he does get out of that? And that is, you know, would ASU allow him to go to, to USC? Kind of what are the rules on that? Um, specifically with trying to get out of an LOI, does the school then have to, uh, you know, can they deny them going somewhere else or is it, is it different rules because it's simply an LOI? Um, and what are the chances of, uh, of USC landing him, even though Kiffin said that he's not really going to pursue anybody else? Uh, thanks so much, and fight on, Amir from Sherman Oaks. Thank you for the question. 
Uh, I would say, first and foremost, uh, basically you kind of uh, talked about it in the question. Lane Kiffin, I think, is pretty content with the class that he has. Um, to be honest, when it came to D.J. Foster, my personal opinion, it wasn't obviously USC's opinion because they recruited him pretty hard. My personal opinion was that was a guy that maybe they were reaching for. Um, Lane Kiffin talked a lot about not going after guys that they felt that they were reaching for, guys that maybe you know weren't of that that top 15 on their board and kind of just looking for a guy to fill that 15. And I felt like DJ Foster as a running back was a little bit of a reach for USC. He's just not big enough to be a running back. And especially in a pro style system, he really fits Arizona state's old system really, really well. And I think Arizona state's old system uh, is going to be a lot closer to what Arizona state's new system is going to be than what USC is running right now as a pro style offense. So um, as far as that goes, I don't see USC going after him a second time. Also because uh, on his last in-home visit scheduled with USC, he was supposed to have Joe Barry and Kennedy Polamalu come in home and talk with he and his parents. What happened was basically Joe Barry and Kennedy Polamalu ended up uh, on campus waiting for DJ Foster with his mother, and he was nowhere to be seen. What happened was DJ Foster ended up uh, ducking out didn't want to talk to the USC coaches anymore and decided to go hang out uh, at uh, his, his friend's house. And so I think just that lack of respect for, for just USC and, and stepping up and just saying, hey, you know, I don't want to go to USC, um, thanks but no thanks, instead of having, you know, the coaches fly out there and have an in-home visit with him when they could have been other places, I think, speaks volumes. And I just, I, like I said, again, that would be too much of a reach for USC at this point. As far as his, his LOI is concerned, and and how that goes with a school that you don't want to be at anymore, you don't want to transfer, it's really up to the school. Um, USC let uh, Chantrell Henderson out of his letter of intent to tra- to go to Miami. He didn't transfer to Miami. He just went to Miami. Um, that was a, a kind of, I think, a PR move as much as anything. I don't think you want necessarily to have a player that's on your team that doesn't want to be on your team. I think in that case – with USC having sanctions, um, it just would have looked bad, uh, you know, that those sanctions came down, and then you're basically holding Chantrell Henderson to his letter of intent and forcing him to transfer to a school and sit out a year. It just would have looked bad for USC considering the circumstances that went around him even signing a letter of intent and saying that, you know, the only reason he was going to USC is because he didn't think they are going to get a bowl ban. So that would have looked bad, I think, from a, just a PR standpoint. With D.J. Foster – it may be similar where Arizona State's put in a position where they just don't want a player that doesn't want to be there, but they worked so hard to get him there. Uh, you know, Arizona State really put all their cards on the table for D.J. Foster. You know, USC wanted them, but not nearly as much as Arizona State did. And it was really a statement for Arizona State to be able to sign him and get, you know, what is perceived one of the best players in the state of Arizona because they've lost so many good players in the state of Arizona so many years. And really even this year they lost guys like Andrews Pete and they lost guys like Damian Williams, who's a Juco guy that was there in state for Arizona. They haven't been able to really keep the top players in the state at home. And so DJ Foster was kind of that first guy that they were going to turn the tide with. So I could see them being pretty, um, pretty, pretty, stuck on trying to make sure he stays there and, and doing whatever they can do. Um, they evidently are in line or, or going to hire 
two of DJ Foster's uh, assist or two of his coaches from high school, head coach John Saunders and another coach that was an offensive line coach is supposed to be hired there as a quality control manager at Arizona State. So there's a lot that they put in to, to making sure that DJ Foster felt comfortable at Arizona State. I don't see them just turning their backs on that and saying, hey, oh, yeah, you know, if you don't want to be here, sure, go somewhere else. Um, I, I think they're just going to tell them, hey, hold your horses. We're going to hire a new running backs coach. Wait and see who it is. Maybe they even have input with him uh, as to who it is. It's a slippery slope. You don't want to do that as a coaching <laughs> staff. You don't want you know the inmates running the asylum, and that's kind of what happens when you start doing that. But again, they've already sold out quite a bit to get DJ Foster. So you know, I mean, it may be just one more thing that they have to do to make sure that he's happy. Okay, uh, let's go to Steven San Diego. He his nominations for most bizarre recruitments the recruits this year. And he says, and frankly, it means he's glad that they didn't go with USC. One, Jordan Payton to UCLA by way of USC, Cal, and Washington. And then Deontay Greenberry from a definite commit to Notre Dame to play with his buddy to USC lean to wait, wait for it, Houston. Uh, so those were Steve and San Diego's nominations for most uh, recruiting, strange recruiting battles. Yeah, probably. I, I would agree with that. They weren't necessarily um, surprising. Um, I was pretty much dead set against Deontay Greenberry signing with Notre Dame. I just never thought that was going to happen. What I thought would happen would he be one of these guys at the very end of the uh, recruiting process would end up jumping to Oregon. Because Oregon has gotten guys like that in the past. And, you know, um, some of the, you know, Cliff Harris and, and some of the guys they've gotten from Fresno have kind of been in weird circumstances um, as to, you know, how the recruitment played out. And that was kind of going on with Deontay Greenberry. Um, I didn't think T. Shepard would necessarily sign with Notre Dame either, but being an early enrollee, I guess, you know, the, the fun had yet to really completely play out. And so <laughs> Deontay Greenberry's the only guy that ends up going there. Um, I'm just surprised that that, 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 that he was even – a commit to Notre Dame as long as he was, to be honest with you. Uh, and then Jordan Payton, kind of a sad story, in my opinion, just just him going back and forth so many times. And really, you know, in my opinion, I just don't think it's a good pickup for UCLA. I think they could have gone in a better direction with the receiver position. I know that they need receivers. They really don't have a lot of talent that position. They don't have much depth. So they were looking for some guys, and they really tried to get Trey, um, Bryce Treggs uh, down at the end with, you know, Cal and, and then USC offering very late for him and ended up losing him to Cal. And I think they thought that they were going to get him. And then, you know, it, it became one of those things where I guess they felt like they could, you know, Jordan Payton could kind of be their plan B for Bryce Treggs and they end up getting him. But, um, you know, UCLA, they've, they've had some guys like that before that haven't necessarily panned out. Guys like uh, Randall Carroll, guys like uh, Merle Presley, and so uh, we'll see. You know, Jordan Payne's got talent, but it's just a matter of, uh, you know, how is he going to be in the locker room and, and is he going to be willing to come in and, and work and kind of keep his mouth shut and keep his head down. Um, I think USC, that was a good miss for them. I think Aziz too was a good miss for them. Sometimes it's about who you don't get in some of these classes. Um, you know, everybody talks about the five stars and all these big-time guys, but sometimes you need to get away from those guys and just – Go after players that are solid players that, that want to be in your program and, and want to work hard and want to you know develop the mentality that you're coaching and not necessarily be guys that just want to come in because of you know the Heisman trophies and the stars and, and all that kind of stuff that uh, you know, that that obviously comes with winning and being a successful program. Okay, uh, let's move on to a couple of Zach Banner questions from Ryan and Dave. They both want to know: Could Zach Banner play basketball and then walk on? 
to the USC football team. And if you want, Gerard, I can take this since I've had a lot of compliance dealing with. Essentially, if you ever have to ask a question, can he play somewhere else and count and, and that also play football? <laughs> the answer is no. Just basically the answer is always no. In this kind of case, Banner is a, a recruited athlete. So he was being recruited for football. He couldn't go and play basketball and play football and just have him count as a basketball scholarship because he was recruited. He would be a counter. He would count towards the total of scholarships uh, for USC football. So it, it doesn't matter, you know, even if they was the money didn't come from the football program, he would still count. And that's what I think everyone is really concerned about. Um, a lot of times with walk-ons, uh, if you go for two years in the program as a walk-on and it wasn't a recruited uh, player, when they bring them on and give them a scholarship, which we've seen happen in the past, those would still count to the for the overall scholarship number, but just not the initial number. So that's one way they kind of try to save things. They keep a walk on the program for a couple years, uh, like a guy like Cal Negretti. Uh, if he was given a scholarship, I believe he wouldn't count towards the initial number. So the the fifteen number that everyone's talking about now, that's normally twenty five, he wouldn't count towards that, but he would still count towards the seventy five. And right now, our count has USC at seventy seven. So um, not really an opportunity for walk-ons getting a scholarship and um unfortunately right now we'll see i mean things could change and whatever down the road but right now it does look like they're still over the max number that has to be down to 75 by the beginning of fall camp but if a couple people transfer out uh someone doesn't make grades or didn't get into school and they're they maybe see themselves at 73 or 74 then maybe you see a guy like cal negretti get a scholarship at least for a year uh, I don't know. I can see that happening. Yeah. Because I mean, there's definitely some guys right now that are uh, on that cusp of either really academically not making it, and they're still on the official roster as it is. So, um, hope is not lost for Kyle Negretti. <laughs> yeah, he's been around. It's been two years. I I want to make sure. But if he's as long as he's been around two years, then if they brought him in, he wouldn't count towards the class of 2012, uh, which. Um, our count, there's 12 scholarships given out, giving three left over that could be rolled over for the class of 2013 for transfers or early enrollees. Um, so I think that would be a big deal. Like if you have a walk-on that's in the program for a couple of years, it does make a difference because it'll only count towards the overall number and not that initial number. Well, there you go. You took a rapid-fire question and made it into a verbose answer. It wasn't that verbose. There's, it's, it's a complicated thing. Um, but Dave wanted an, an Look, I mean, compliance has been really great. They've been working with me quite a bit, you know, because we do a lot of these questions, and uh, it helps to have them, you know, be uh, upfront with stuff and clear things up and make it clear of what, you know, what is legal and what is not legal and how USC has to go about things. Um, Dave also wanted to know, he says walk-ons will be very valuable for the team over the next few years. He walked on in 1978. Coach Robinson eventually gave him a scholarship. He feels bad for some of the walk-ons that, could have earned a scholarship, but are getting screwed because of, and he used a derogatory term for Paul D. He's like, thanks and great job by both of you guys, Dave. It, it, it does suck, Gerard, that a guy like Colin Negretti, who didn't give up a, didn't put one single punt into the end zone all year, started the whole year for USC, and, and unfortunately, there isn't really a spot for him on a scholarship right now. Normally, he would have one by now. Yep, exactly. That's um, the, the dark side of... Uh, the sanctions and, and how they affect uh, players that they weren't necessarily meant to affect. Okay, uh, let's move on. Thanks for Ryan and, to, to Ryan and Dave for those questions. Jim wanted to know about Stephon Diggs. Uh, you know, what's his situation? Um, he says, I know 
Kiffin's been saving those three scholarships, but are there any prospects like Diggs or anyone else that would be worthy of, of getting a late scholarship for the class of 2012? Diggs would be worthy of a late scholarship. I think he's that much of a playmaker and that dynamic of a player that you would definitely bring him in if you wanted to come in. USC actually wanted three receivers at the end of the day, and that's the reason why they gave a late offer to Bryce Triggs, the six foot 175-pound uh, receiver from uh, St. John Bosco. And that was really way, way late in the game. They didn't know if they were going to even have that scholarship to offer. And when he came in on a visit midweek, which was like a Thursday and Friday visit, he didn't get an offer then. He didn't get an offer afterwards. But they told him on that official visit that, hey, listen, Tuesday is when we're going to know whether we can offer you or not. And at that point, if they would have offered him going into that visit, uh, there's a real, real shot that he would have ended up at USC. Um, there's people that say that uh, he would have ended up at USC for sure, but it didn't happen that way, and USC had to wait on it. And by Tuesday, it was really too late. It was kind of, um, you know, just a just an offer that he could put out there as, as another hat on the table. He was pretty much set with Cal. Um, so I could see them going after Stephon Diggs, and 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 if he wanted to come in giving him an official, or not an official visit, because he's used all his official visits, but, um, you know, giving him a spot to, to be able to, to come in and, and actually be part of that 75-man roster to be uh, in August. But I don't think it's going to happen, mainly because I don't think Stephon Diggs is, is going to look further at USC. Uh, Maryland was his last visit. That tells me he's still looking for an excuse to stay closer to home. Um, you know, Maryland, uh, there's some connections there with, uh, some some of the the the, the family and, and people around Stephon Diggs, so uh, it, it just kind of looks like one of those situations where he just wants to stay closer to home. So I don't see it happen for USC, but you know if he was to show interest or there was some reason, all of a sudden he decided, hey, you know I'd like to look at USC again. I like their depth, you know that I think I'd go in and play. Then um, I'm sure you know Lincoln Kiffin would be open to that. That would not be a reach in my opinion for USC to go after him late. Okay, uh, let's see. Juice in San Diego wanted to thank us for and the staff for great recruiting coverage. He really appreciated it. And well, thanks, uh, Juice. Hopefully, you enjoyed the day. It was a pretty dis- busy day for all of us, and we uh, we got people at a lot of different high school campuses doing stories and stuff. Um, so, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, he wants to know: Did USC consider Shaquille Powell from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas? Uh, from everything he's read and seen on Rivals, the kid is a beast. Moves the pile. Smart decisions, great in the open field. Great balance, looks like an even stronger Curtis McNeil. He said he also saw there's an unsigned running back from uh, Pasadena Mir, Tim Wright. Is he good enough to play running back at USC? That's from Juice in San Diego. No, which uh, Powell, they really didn't look at. I mean, they looked at him and, and recruited him early on, but didn't really get serious with him uh, late during the process. Um, you know, I couldn't go into specifics why, but... Uh, just didn't feel like he was going to be a guy that they could really use on a 75-man roster. Again, that that, na- that word reach kind of comes out there, and they didn't want to reach on guys. They didn't want to go on a guy and, and start being optimistic and hopeful that he was going to turn into a good player. They wanted guys that they felt really confident with, and he just wasn't one of those guys. Um, the kid out of Muir, I don't really know much about him. I did see Muir play this year. Um, and didn't jump out to me. And the two guys that were obviously the big-time players for Mir were Kevon Seymour and uh, Tyron Owens, who uh, switched from uh, being committed to Washington to UCLA. Owens is small, 
not a very big back and, and kind of was really the, the counter to, to Seymour as far as being their offensive threat. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to really be able to play running back. They probably want to put him at defensive back at UCLA. Um, he's got great speed, and, and I like his uh, suddenness. He's really a quick player, good agile player, but um, just a little small. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens with him if he develops into being a good player. But uh, he was kind of impressed me quite a bit. And obviously with Kevon, I think he's a guy that um, if you're looking for the physical makeup, uh, the attributes that are similar to a guy like a, a Robert Woods or um, you know maybe a, a Marquis Lee, I actually think – Keenan Seymour is closer to that than even Nelson Aguilar um, in terms of speed, in terms of ball skills, in terms of just uh, just talent, you know, raw talent, physical ability. Uh, Seymour is, is definitely a big-time player. Now, whether he's going to have the work ethic, he's going to have all those intangibles that um, Woody and Marquise were able to come in with, you know, that's hard to really gauge until they get in the system and they get in the program. But, um, you know, Keevon, like uh, Marquise and, and, and Woods, Kind of a guy that could be able to play some special teams too, and, and definitely is a guy that uh, I've seen firsthand as a threat on kick returns. Um, so you know, not, I digress uh, on the question, but uh, that's uh, a little extra uh, cheese for you there on on uh, you know who might be uh, a guy that's an impact player next year for USC. Okay, a little extra cheese. We always love that. Uh, let's go to back to the voicemail questions again. It's two zero six eight 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 six seven five five. This is one of our favorite topics on the peristyle kind of year-round, Gerard. Hi, Gerard. Uh, J.D. from D.C. A couple of questions on recruiting. Who were the silent commits in this class that you were hearing about? There was a lot of chatter on the board that there were at least two silent commits. I'm wondering who they were, and especially if any of them were one of the guys who flipped at the end there. Uh, another question is about Kenny Bigelow. Have you been in touch with this guy? I'm curious because he's obviously the lodestone of next year's class, not only because of his prominence, but the absolute need we have for a guy to step right in a defensive tackle as uh, soon as possible. I have been in touch with uh, Kenny Bigelow. I was in touch with him after he committed, and um, good kid, excited about USC. The interesting thing about his commitment early on is that he is the teammate of David Sills, and David Sills has been committed for, I don't know, what, two, three years already now, and so that's make that dynamic a little different than I think if you were just to get this random commitment from back east. Obviously, it's very, very early in the process. We've seen guys commit and decommit uh, within, you know, weeks of each other. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jordan Payton's a good example of a guy who committed to four different schools, and, and, and one of those commitments was one day it was Washington on national television, and then he turned around on signing day and ended up signing with UCLA. So, it can get pretty crazy, and it seems every year it gets crazier. So, you know, to put a bunch of eggs in the basket of Kenny Bigelow right now is, is a little foolish. you got to just kind of take his recruitment um, with a grain of salt for a while until you start to get into the season and after the season, and, and then you really start to see if he's really going to be a solid commitment because he's probably going to take his visits, and he's going to definitely be recruited by a lot of other schools from back east. Again, the one thing that makes it a little different is that he's got a teammate there in David Sills who may – you know, help keep him committed. Uh, he, he's a guy at least that will be inside for USC and his, you know, recruitment and, and kind of close to Kenny and, and when things go on and there are new coaches that are, you know, trying to get in there's recruitment and saying things, you know, USC might always have somebody there that, that they can, you know, kind of reach out to and, and get some information on what's going on behind the scenes, because obviously they're not going to be nearby to be able to see that stuff for themselves. Um, 
what was the first question? <laughs> Going Ooh, back. Oh, silent, silent commitments. commitments. Silent commitments. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there's a silent commitment talk every year, and, and some of it is is not true. You know, there was a lot of talk about DJ Foster being a silent commitment. That was just never accurate. Um, and then there's times where there's guys that legitimately tell the coaching staff things, uh, you know, off record, kind of in private, and and it and it definitely influences how they recruit. You know, I, I think that the one guy that was obviously the the the, the the positive silent commitment story was Nelson Aguilar. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would have to say Nelson Aguilar was probably a silent commitment to USC since probably August, September, uh, maybe even earlier before that. I, I think his dream school was USC. It was always USC. He talked about that early on in his recruitment and then kind of went underground on talking about specifics with a lot of schools and, and um, was pretty quiet with me and, and I think a lot of the USC publications just because it was kind of a mandate. And I, and I think that was a guy that silently, you know, people kind of felt, at least I felt for a long time, he was just that kind of USC recruit and that kind of guy. And when he came out here twice on his own dime for the Rising Stars camp two years in a row, that just told me like he was really motivated to, to see USC and, and, and liked USC enough. And then, you know, obviously the official visit was kind of a follow-up at the end of the year. It just all kind of fell in place. And if you read between the lines, you, you knew Nelson Aguilar was going to be a guy that was really seriously considering USC. And I think it went beyond that. I think he was definitely a sign of commitment for, for quite a while for USC. Um, you know, there's other guys that have been signing commitments too. I think Zach Banner talked about being um, – you know, the night of, he, he decided that uh, that was when, you know, he was going to go to USC um, the night of his announcement, basically, the the, the, the night before, the, the day of. I don't know if I necessarily totally buy that. <laughs> I think that, I think that you know, Zach probably had gone back and forth on a bunch of different schools throughout the process, but I, I would feel like I'd be surprised if, if I heard that he actually never told the coaching staff he was coming to USC um, until, you know, the, the, the night before his announcement. I, I think he probably knew before that and probably talked to the coaching staff before that. Uh, I've never actually asked about that. I've never really had any conversations about him specifically, but um, I think that was a guy that was definitely another guy that you could probably put in the silent commitment category. Um, guys, it didn't work out. We all know about the Kyle Murphy you know, episode, and I've not heard that he actually told the coaches that he was coming. Nobody's come forward and said that, um, but uh, some of the players had said that he had, you know, actually reached out and said that he was going to be at USC and, and implied to a lot of people that he was going to go to USC. Um, but I never actually heard from any coaches that, uh, yeah, he, he silently committed. Um, the same thing with, with Andrews Pete. I, I've never heard a coach actually come out and say, yeah, you know, he was silently committed to us uh, for such such a time. It's just nobody's actually ever told me that. And I know, you know, as it got down to the wire there, it, it definitely seemed, um, for reasons I can't explain, that uh, he wasn't committed. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they were probably concerned about where he was going. And, and obviously at the end, it ended up flipping to Stanford. So, you know, right now, and I've said it before, you know, a million times in the parastyle, silent commitments just don't mean anything. They just mean nothing. Um, and commitments these days that are public don't really mean a whole lot anymore. So when you're talking about something that, you know, a kid doesn't even want to say on the record, uh, you really question the validity of it. Obviously, sometimes it works out. Like I said with Nelson Aguilar, I, I think that worked out. But I think it worked out for reasons that 
you can understand um, just as far as him being in Florida, uh, as far as you know the the kind of pressure he was going to get from the Florida schools to stay in Florida. And I think if all those schools in the SEC know that USC is a team to beat, then they're going to dogpile on USC. It's happened before, um, and it'll happen again. Kenny Bigelow is probably a good example. Um, I'm sure USC would just as have just as soon have him you know be a silent verbal, but it came out so. You know they're 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 going to roll with it, but um, sometimes it's a strategic thing why a kid is silent, and you can kind of understand that. Other times when kids are silent, and especially when it's a local player, you really shrug your shoulders at that and say, you know, why? What what does it matter? Why don't you just if you if you really like USC that much, just come out, commit, stay committed, don't go to these other schools and visit. But if they're talking about taking more visits after they've supposedly been a silent commit, then it, it just means nothing. So um, you know, recruiting's changed every year. You know, kind of as time goes on with what a commitment really means and what a pledge really means. And, and quite frankly, and I think I mentioned this before, I wonder if the recruiting publications and the services in general have to start looking at that differently and start reporting public commitments differently because it just doesn't mean anything. To say somebody's publicly committed, it's to say, well, they, this school leads for them. And that's basically all you're saying. And honestly, there are situations where kids, you know, commit like Max Turek, and they commit publicly, and they end up being public commitments, and they they're they're solid all the way through. And that's kind of like the old school way of doing it. And and you kind of used to go, okay, that guy's publicly committed to this school. There's probably a 90% chance that he ends up at that school. Now, I mean, really, you kind of have to look at it more like it's probably 60-40 that that kid's actually going to remain publicly. Are, are, are he's going to sign with the school that he's publicly committed to. Um, I'm sure the, 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 the ratio is probably a little higher than that um, of kids that actually sign that, that, are, that are end up, you know, public commitments because it just it seems like such a bigger deal to the guys that don't commit or don't sign that are committed. But it's really gotten to the point where it's just everybody's taking visits and they get real wavery and, and they just want to basically commit early, get a spot in a class, and then start looking at all their options after the season. And, and to me, the schools have created that monster, and now that's why a lot of schools want to push for an early signing period, which I can understand. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can understand schools getting tired of, of, of all this nonsense you know, that's going on. Now, what would happen to USC? The great you know, question maybe here is, hypothetically, what would happen to USC this past year if there was an early signing period? Um, you know, you probably would have Max Turek been an assignee. Uh, you would have had several guys be signees, but then what happens with a guy like maybe Kelvin York, the you know 5'11", 225-pound running back from Fullerton College, who was committed to USC early in the process, was all gun ho on USC, and probably would have been a guy that would have been up for an early signing, but you know, didn't end up doing what he needed to do from an academic standpoint to be able to get in early, and he was supposed to be an early rollie, and that's really the reason why he didn't end up at USC. He was talking about some type of knee injury. That never really was the reason USC wasn't going to take him. They expected him to be an early enrollee. He ended up flunking one of the summer classes and didn't, you know, didn't make the credits to be able to get out of Fullerton College as an early enrollee and get into USC in January. So all of a sudden, what do you do? Do you sign him? And then he's part of the class, and then doesn't get in early. That, that's 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 where it becomes very complicated. And I don't know if it would have hurt USC or help USC to have guys as early signees. I mean, maybe they get Pio Vatuve, you know, as an early enrollee, uh, or excuse me, as an early signee. Probably not, because he still wanted to take his visits. But you know, there's all those questions that kind of float around about that. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's move on to Guy. He's a diehard Peristyle reader but he's perplexed by some of the code and lingo that seems rampant among the frequent posters, especially 
around National Signing Day. Um, he said there's certain prognosticators that seem to command immense credit, uh, credibility from others on the P. He's not very familiar with such things. He wanted to say, who are these people? Who are these prognosticators? Do they work for the university, something else? What's going on? What's, what's all with, with the inside scoop going on in the peristyle, Gerard? Well, you got to name uh, prog- prognosticators. You almost <laughs> couldn't get that word out, SAT word. Um, you got to name them by name to actually, uh, I couldn't tell you who's who. The only guys that work for the site are Dan Weber, Ryan Abraham, and Gerard Martinez. So anybody else who's posting on there is, a, is an expert or is a person that's trying to give you information on what's happening with anybody's particular recruitment would just be a fan. So just a guy just like you that maybe he's got a source, maybe he doesn't have a source, maybe he wants you to believe he has a source. Um, there's a lot of that goes on during signing day. It kind of makes it, um, you know, fun for a lot of people. They just, they like getting into it. They like, you know, that there's somebody out there that is unabated and, and has this, you know, inside information and, and is sneaking out uh, from underneath, you know, the, 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 the iron curtain of, uh, you know, Heritage Hall and, um, and posting it on the board for people. And, and, you know, that's why they loved the recruiting guru for so long because it was kind of, um, you know, this vague inside information and, and it and allowed people's imaginations to run wild. And I think that's kind of with recruiting, it plays more on the imagination and the fantasy aspect of following college football because before the guys actually sign, there's always this, you know, this, this thought that there's going to be this amazing class. that's going to be, you know, the best class in the universe. And there's all these five stars. And when you're, you know, USC and you follow USC, USC's recruiting the best of the best. And the thing with USC is that in the past, they've been able to find some of the best classes in the nation, probably some of the best classes of all time in the modern era of actually ranking these classes. So, you know, UNC fans get into it. There's a lot of code that goes on. Sometimes the code um, is used specifically for reasons that it kind of goes along with, you know, the strategy and, and the strategic kind of nature that goes on with recruiting and the silent verbal. You know, if we get information, sometimes we cannot release that information. Sometimes I'll find something out, and I do not want that information to be, uh, to, to, to be something that becomes a hurdle for the USC coaching staff. I don't want to get in the way of their recruiting. Um, and, and sometimes I can get information, and depending on where that information comes from and what I can release and what I can't, it has to be done in a very delicate way. So you don't just want to go out there and say, hey, Cyrus Miles is visiting USC this weekend. I just heard it from a source. Well, that isn't really, you know, you can burn your sources that way. So sometimes you have to be a little more delicate. You have to put it on the low. You can kind of put it out there and say, okay, we got some information. Something's good is going to happen. Going to get a surprise visitor. It's going to be a guy that's going to be, you know, a four-star guy. And you put a little something on there. And if people dig hard enough, they'll get the, they'll get the, uh, the hint, if you will, and kind of know who it is. And you kind of put your, your place marker on that information, and you know where you got it first. But the actual specifics and details can't come till later. Some, sometimes people are content with that. Sometimes people are not content with that. And, and my thing is, well, would you rather not have any information or would you rather have some of the information? Well, the one thing with me is if there's any code or there's any kind of little riddles that go on out there, any little open-ended posts, I'm always going to follow it up with detail as to exactly what I was saying and why I was saying it. And there's a full explanation on every single thing that I've ever said ever on the peristyle. I mean, I've got a record on that. I know for sure. So, you know, with other people, they, they're, you're not, they, they don't 
have to live up to that that standard and that that you know that kind of criteria because they're just you know on there for their own enjoyment. Uh, there's a lot of Trojan fans on there that are just passionate about it and they love talking about recruiting. And there's people that have little followings and, and clicks, if you will. But you can't necessarily tell you know look at them and say, well, okay, what was this about this? You were wrong on this, and, and hold them up to that same standard as you would hold myself. Or, or you or Dan Weber, we work for the site. You know, it's our responsibility to go out there and put, you know, information out there that's accurate and to explain everything that we, we find out and why we find out. That's what reporting is about. So, you know, it's just not fair. I see people kind of looking at, you know, just the the, the random poster that decides, he, you know, he has a source somewhere or he heard something that was really interesting about some kid, post it, and maybe it doesn't, come to fruition and next thing you know you've got a, an angry mob with pitchforks and torches behind them saying ban him ban him you know this is this, that information is not true this guy's a troll he's a troll i mean that gosh man everybody's a troll nowadays it's crazy it's like uh you know i mean i don't know whoever, whoever <laughs> the troll population is they're gonna def, def, definitely uh, select the next president because there's more trolls out there anymore than there are just regular people but but so that's the the, the evolution of all that stuff but if if we and I say we as a football, uh, uscfootball.com staff are kind of putting information out there and putting it in a way that's not necessarily just wide open. It, there's a reason for it. You know, there's a, there's an actual reason for it. It usually depends on where that information is coming from and kind of how we're able to disseminate it. Um, you know, Morgan Bresson was a good example of something that we had to just sit on. And we had to sit on it because if we would have just announced it, you know, and put it on Twitter and, and done everything that, you know, other sites may have done, it would have, it would have been an issue. It, it, you know, UCLA didn't know that he was actually visiting USC that weekend. And trust me, if they would have known he was visiting USC, they would have bombarded the dude with phone calls. So when I heard that he was visiting and I talked to the kid on the phone, you know, he kind of pleaded with me, hey, man, like, I really, really would appreciate if you didn't put it out there that I've, I visited USC and that I actually committed to USC. He told me this, like, Sunday. And so, you know, it was one of those things where you, you're putting a rock in a hard spot. And I said, well, you know, if you're able to keep it quiet, then I'll keep it quiet. I mean, things it's, it's tough for things to keep quiet nowadays. I mean, shoot, Silo Miles is another example of a guy that visited, nobody really knew about it, and then he ended up, I think, at a party or something, and, uh, you know, there was like a student that was there and ended up posting on a peristyle. Right, hey, yeah. I, I met Tyler Miles. He's on his visit to USC. So <laughs> things, you know, with the Internet nowadays, it, they're really hard to keep quiet. But, um, you know, with the Morgan Breslin thing, that was really kind of one of those. That was where the ninja, the ninja whole uh, phrase and, and stuff kind of came about because USC actually was able to recruit this guy, get him on an official visit, get him committed before UCLA actually even knew he, was, he visited USC. I mean, it was completely out of nowhere. It was completely quiet. Ninja had nothing to do with, you know, the class they were going to bring in, a, in in terms of five stars and how big it was going to be. People obviously were not following along that, that thought that. It was just about the nature of USC and the way they recruited and the way Lane Kiffin is recruited. And he's done that. I mean, you could even go to Nelson Aguilar's recruitment. Like I said, you know, for, for most of the year, Nobody really had any kind of idea that USC was going to be a real player for him. I mean, it was kind of funny, I think, for a lot of people in the style because we were on top of it, reporting it and, and talking about him for a long time, being a guy that, you know, I think USC is really in a good position for him. I said on the podcast, I said in a lot of places, but those, 
media outlets are not obviously on the peristyle. They're not really paying attention to us. And they probably just think that, you know, I'm just Joe Blow USC guy and I'm just a fan for USC and, and saying nice things about USC. We don't roll like that on the peristyle. But they probably think that. So nobody really kind of noticed the confidence level building out west about Nelson Aguilar, but USC did a great job of just kind of keeping that quiet, and, and everybody's talking about Florida, Florida State for the longest time, and it just went on and on and on. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, once it came to January, and all of a sudden he announces he's going to visit USC last, people started to take notice, like, whoa, hey, USC's still in there? Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> so it was, again, kind of a ninja way that, uh, that, that USC went about recruiting, and I think, you know, it kind of – just the way that uh, they, they handled that 2012 class, there was a lot of uh, ninja aspects to it. So it became a common theme, and it was funny, and, and it became code and what have you. But, again, it all got explained in the end. It did. All right. And I do love that about the peristyle, Gerard, that there's – guys have credibility. Guy was asking this question, and but they have – people build up credibility. So if you see a poster posting things and over time it seems like it's right, then I think you'd be more likely to read his stuff. And there's guys that have – Sources, maybe they went to a high school that has a lot of prospects or their dad's a coach there or, you know, like you said, the student, there's a student that knows football players and, and saw a kid like Siler Miles on his visit. I mean, there's definitely people that have, they're either on campus or they're at high schools connected to certain players, things like that. They don't necessarily have the wide range of sources, but they have, you know, they're close to one good source and um, it's nice on the peristyle, at least for me. I love the fact that there's a bunch of those guys out there that uh, kind of know a lot of different things. You put them all together, and it's a, it's a pretty good knowledge base when you get everything in, in one space. Yeah, and I, I think just the main point is just, you know, posters should not hold posters to the same standard as they hold us. You know, they pay for the site. They pay us to be, you know, on top of things and to be accurate, and if things don't pan out, then – you know, then it's our jobs, and it's not the same for for your fellow poster. You know, a guy thinks he's got some information, and and maybe it's right, maybe it's not. You know, I, I think if if somebody's out there and they continually try to act like they're an insider and they're continually wrong, then you know what? It's it's it is what it is. You just kind of move on and say, all right, that guy's full of crap. He's trying to you know grandstand again, and he's really not a guy that's got any kind of sources. And you move on from that point. But there is always that weird kind of back and forth that goes on between, you know, people trying to kind of outdo each other. And, and it's the, it's the recruiting guru syndrome. I mean, it's the <laughs> guy that, you know, kind of built this, this semi celebrity on the peristyle. Um, you know, I mean, actually even beyond the peristyle, I, I think, you know, even probably fans from other Pac-10 schools would probably know the recruiting guru, uh, just because he was a guy that was so accurate back in the day. And, and again, you know, a lot of his stuff was very vague and a lot of his hints were very vague and he didn't have to put a lot of detail into something that didn't happen, um, or explain himself because at the end of the day, he was just a poster. He's just a fan. He was not somebody who worked for the site. Um, and, and if you're not working for the site, you're not working for rivals and you really, you don't have to, you, you pretty much can come and go as you please. You know, we can't make people, you know, Hey, if you're going to post this, then you have to do this and you have to do that. And it's not a, <laughs> it's not right. like a, a bunch of follow up, uh, things that you have to do to be a quote unquote insider on a, on a message board. All right. Well, we got a bunch of questions left, so we'll probably have to, uh, go into, uh, hyperspeed mode if we can, not hyperspeed, rapid fire. Rapid fire light. Uh, we can go like that. Let's go with David's question, Gerard. He wants to know if you could have had any three of the West Coast linemen, who would you have picked? He's curious 
how you think Ben or Turk Simmons stack up with Pete Murphy, Magnuson Stanley, and all those guys? Any three. Uh, probably would have been Murphy, Banner, and Simmons. Oh, Murphy, but not uh, you wouldn't put Turk in there. No, if I had any three, it would have been those guys. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, Turk, definitely a rogue. I, I don't think you're going to lose a whole lot. Obviously, Pete, I mean, uh, Murphy would be a great addition to the class, but I don't think people should be too down on Turner, uh, Turk either. Oh, no, no, no. Nobody should be down on Turk. I mean, that's, I mean, if there's a fourth, he might be the guy. I, I just, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, you're only picking three guys, and obviously you're looking from a USC perspective, I, I take with this question. You want a guy that can, can maybe play right tackle and can play guard, and I think that that's, that's really – Simmons, I've seen so much of him. He's so freaking poised. I mean, that, that guy is so calm under pressure and just never seems like to get in over his head. That's why I keep saying, you know, if there's somebody that they're going to have to pop out there at left tackle that might just shock the world, it'd be, it'd be Jordan Simmons. I mean, he really could do a lot of the things that Marcus Martin did for USC last year as a true freshman. In terms of just, you know, it's not just about talent. It's just about his ability um, you know, to, to come in and, and stay composed and and learn and, and, and he's smart and it just has all those intangibles, all those kind of things that, you know, you can't necessarily list in a number that allow you to be able to make a contribution early. So he's the guy that I'd, I'd like to have that guard-tackle hybrid. And then the two best tackles um, that I saw in person were, were Kyle Murphy and, and Zach Banner. I didn't see Anders Pete. You know, he may be better, but I got to go with my eyes. You evaluate by your eyes, not your ears. Okay, let's go. Lamar, are schools allowed to pay for trips to and from other parts of the country for kids out of town? Does that include their families on visits? Uh, for official visits, I'm, I'm assuming this is a question for. Um, you know what? I don't even know. I it, I don't think so anymore. I, I, I thought at one point that it included one guardian, I'm not sure if it still does. Um, these rules change so often, so I'm not really sure. Okay. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think there's, if you drive, they can pay for, like, family can get, like, a mileage. I think there's something along that, like, like if you drove out from, like, Arizona or something. But they couldn't pay yes. for, like, the whole family to come visit. I know that. No, 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 no. I No, not for sure. But I, I, I feel like I just haven't read the rule, and, and I hate to say... I know how it was. It was one guard. It was one family member or guardian at one point could come out on an official visit. Nowadays, I don't know because I mean, at one point they used to be able to fly out um, the family for you know the Army All American Bowl too, and, and the All Star games, and then that stopped. So I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, it's the exact same. I mean, I guess I should keep up with these rules like coaches do, but I don't have to, there's, so I don't. Yeah, there's a lot to keep up with. Uh, how about Mo in Detroit? Mo in Detroit, holy cow! What's up, Mo? Uh, he oh, had, his, his question is basically, you know, U.S. There's a lot of talent in Southern California, a lot of speed, great offensive line. Why aren't running backs lining up to play in the Coliseum for USC? Well, they they are. It's just you want the the best guys to to line up, um, and, and it's you know it's just one of those things where nowadays you've got a lot of programs selling a lot of different stuff, and it's all about playing time. And for years, USC has been stacked at running back, and, and and they've been stacked at running back because guys have been lining up to play for them for years. So it's just this past class that they could have used a running back, and you know the way things shook out, the way things kind of happened with Amir Carlisle transferring. I don't think that was expected by the coaching staff. Uh, the Kelvin York situation, you know, that was unexpected. I don't think USC really 
kind of knew what was going on there until probably the end of September, early October, that this kid was not going to be able to get in as an early enrollee. Now all of a sudden you're in October and now you got to recruit a running back. And you're going, okay, we want we want a we want a, a power back. We want somebody that can come in and can and can give us what Kelvin York was supposed to give us. Well, that wasn't happening just because of this class. Just in general, this was a small running back class. It was a scat back class from just day one. So there wasn't really a lot of guys out there to be able to recruit um, at that point that were big backs. And the guys you were recruiting were from out of state, and they already had a lot of local schools on top of them. And then, like I said, with Carlisle, that happened even later. Then all of a sudden it became, well, geez, they just need a running back in this class. That's good. So they went back on uh, Byron Marshall again after the whole Chip Kelly going to the NFL thing popped up. Tried to get in with him, but that just didn't really go anywhere. They looked at uh, Damian Williams, who would have jumped on USC. He would be at USC if uh, if they were allowed to get him in academically, but he just didn't have the grades in the transcript, so he ended up committing to Oklahoma. And he was a six foot one, two hundred fifteen pound running back originally from Mira Mesa High School in San Diego, and, and probably the best running back maybe on the West Coast this past year. Uh, but you know, grades are grades, and USC's got certain standards and certain things that they want, and and they want guys to be able as junior college players to come in early. And he wasn't going to be able to, to to graduate early. I think he's a question maybe even to get in in May. So again, it just it's just the way things shook out. But USC has had you know a phenomenal amount of talent uh, over the years at running back uh, because it's running back you because of the tradition. And I don't think that's going to change. I think this next year you're going to see them get a couple of running backs, and they'll be of you know maybe the best running backs nationally and certainly regionally. So I mean I don't think anything's really changed in that regard. Okay, let's go to Mark and Lakita. Um, he wants to know for signing day and the seventy-five scholarship limit, if the combination of players graduating, leaving early, or transferred is more than fifteen in any year of the sanctions, could USC bring in more signees to get the total scholarship number back up to seventy-five? So he says, like, if fifteen seniors leave and then five transfer or into the draft, twenty. Yeah. So there's twenty departures. Yeah, there's no. That's part of the beauty of what. Lane Kiffin has to do in this master plan because you have to account for some years you might have more than 15 leave, but you can't replace them all. Yeah, you're you're stuck. That 15 is a 15. So um, it's it it's just uh, is what it is. <laughs> I mean, and that's why you got to try to use some of these rollover scholarships from one year to other and have early enrollees and 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 try to spread out. You know, kind of what's going on. It's it's a very complicated thing and. But um, that's the sanction is, is that you can only have 15 and, and, and 15 per year. Like I said, you can roll over some early enrollees. So next year, USC will actually have 18 possible scholarship offers to give. But three of those were going to be early enrollees that have to count towards the 2012 class and not the 2013 class. Um, so it's, it's tough, and, and they've got to be able to win with the guys that they've got on the roster and hope they don't have a bunch of transfers or, or guys get injured. And unfortunately, that's just the attrition of football. That happens. So, you know, there's, there's a chance they end up being down there at the 60s again, and, and that's really tough to play with. And then we're going to have to go back to not having tackles, practices, <laughs> and all that good stuff. And we saw how well that worked out. Right. Uh, but so far, they look like they're doing a good job managing all the numbers. We'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, I, I like that there are a couple over 75, you know, in the in the spring, and then you can kind of weed that down and get to 75 by fall. Um, any chance USC offers JUCO running back Marion Grice from uh, Brenham, Texas, and that's from Juan? No, um, I, I've, I think that 
they've definitely looked at that option, and, and at this point, uh, I don't hear anything about USC going on him. Okay. Uh, Melvin wants to know, there's this more like academic talk about different schools like a Stanford or, or Berkeley or whatever, um, kids being able to get into school and qualify for admission. He wants to know, is this like standard at all schools, all Pac-12 schools? Is it a school like Stanford don't make any waivers for football players or athletes at all when people are talking about that? You know, I can't speak for what Stanford is. I don't know. Um, I can't really speak for most other schools. I, I think, quite frankly, a lot of it is it, de- it depends on the programs that they have. I know that um, for a while Cal had a special ed program that got in some players that uh, USC couldn't get in. I think Arizona had that same program. And so that was, you know, there was something there that, that if, if players didn't have a certain amount of units or something, they were able to, to get in under the special ed program um, that, that, that gave them, you know, that opportunity to maybe be um, enrollees where you couldn't get into USC. Um, I know UCLA is pretty strict on, on that. They don't allow that. USC's had a lot of problems with trying to get guys in early enrollees that, you know, I don't know what the requirement is at USC that isn't at Utah, but these guys have been able to get into Utah and sign early. They've been able to get into Arizona State and sign early. So there's definitely some differences. There's definitely some differences in terms of, um, you know, junior college specifically and, and some of these programs that are allowed, you know, that, that, that these schools have that can get them in a couple guys. Um, usually it's probably one, maybe two guys per year that maybe a USC won't be able to get in. For high school kids, though, I think most of it just depended on the NCAA requirements. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk with DJ Foster, another good example. Foster's been an example for a couple of things today. Um, but he's, he's another example of a kid that, you know, one of the reasons why he was not sure about USC is because uh, he – he, he evidently he's not passing one of his classes right now. He's got a D in a class, and he's um, you know worried because he has he's had a D in that class last semester as well. That that he's not going to be able to get into USC because of that core class, and so he was kind of using this as an excuse. Like I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get into USC. I know Cyrus Hobby, who was his teammate last year, who ended up at USC, uh, had some struggles, almost had to take summer school before he got into USC. And so with Foster, he's kind of using that as an excuse. But, you know, that core class, it doesn't matter if it's ASU or it's USC or any other school. You've got to pass that class. You cannot fail that class and still get in at a Division One college. So that, so that was an example of it didn't really matter. It wasn't from school to school. There was no change in that. It was really literally, you know, apples to apples, if you will. If you don't pass that class, you're not getting into either of those schools. And so, you know, it just depends on the class. You know, I know with um, – UCLA, I think I was asked this before on the on the podcast. UCLA, from what I understand, they they, they require another art elective class um, if you're in high school to be able to get into UCLA, and sometimes that's just the issue. Um, I know that uh, you know with USC and, and junior college players, it's a, I think there's a math requirement there that trips up a lot of the guys as early enrollees, and they end up having to take that again. People keep talking about the SEC how they have this extra math class that you got to take. 
um, which is just kind of a ha-ha because, you know, to SEC schools, they pretty much get in anybody they can. But, it's, it, but it ends up being the same thing with USC, even though it's not made this, like, big deal about it. Oh, you've got to take this extra math class. <laughs> it's just what USC requires. And, and so this is why a guy like Isaiah Wiley, you know, we heard a lot about how he wasn't going to go to Arkansas because he, did, he had to take this extra math class. Well, he ended up having to take that class at USC, too, and that's why he wasn't uh, – he ended up having to take two classes to get into USC um, at the end of the day. And so that's why he ended up being an early enrollee. So there is some differences. You know, they're not huge big differences, at least for, you know, most schools. Um, but uh, I think it's more of an issue with, you know, with early enrollees as junior college players and and, and with, with high school players, I think it's just a matter of, you know, if you've got those core classes, then you're usually pretty good to go. I think they'll find a way to get you in if you've got those core classes. And, uh, yeah, just, Melvin, just to kind of follow up a little bit on that, I mean, if you – if you look at every player on the Stanford football team, if they didn't play football, would they have been admitted to Stanford? For the majority of them, no, they would not. And I think you could say the same thing about USC and probably most schools. It's another factor, um, and I think each school has different, you know, it's not like waivers, but it's there's a different standard, I think, for football players. Even if you went to Harvard where there's no scholarships, um, if you have any friends that played Ivy League sports, you know that it helped them to get in. I mean, it's something that helps you. It's part of your, you know, resume of, of what they're looking at when you're in the college admissions. And, you know, so football definitely works that way too. It, you know, it works way across the board, but um, it, there are certain different standards and it, it's hard to kind of get into all the specifics, but I think Gerard did a good job there. Uh, let's finish the last couple up, Gerard. Ron wants to know, Nelson Aguilar, is he the DeAnthony Thomas for the Trojans this upcoming season? No, because DeAnthony Thomas is at Oregon, and that's probably the most memorable thing about his recruitment uh, for USC fans and anything else. It's not necessarily how he played last year. It's just the fact that uh, he left USC standing at the altar. Um, so I would say no, no comparison there with Nelson Aguilar. Um, as a player next year, no, I don't think so either. Nelson Aguilar is just not the same kind of player as DeAnthony Thomas. DeAnthony Thomas is uh, track fast. He's really quick. He's small. Um, in our offense, he's, he's really deadly. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, is, is, the comparison would be much more to maybe a, a Marquise Lee. You know, is, is Nelson Aguilar going to be the next Marquise Lee? That's a favorable comparison. Um, I don't know if I want to put, you know, that standard or, or raise the bar that high for, for Nelson Aguilar to be able to contribute that much next year for USC. But he's certainly a guy that, you know, he has a lot of sneak athleticism. He's not a guy you're going to be able to put a clock on. He's going to run this great 40. Uh, like I said, not really a track guy, but a guy who's got long arms, um, great ball skills, a, a lot of instinct. And I think more than anything, he's just really smart. And I think he's going to pick up the offense fast. I think he's going to have a good work ethic. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to come in and just, you know, try hard and, and be a good teammate. I think that's the thing that you like about Nelson Aguilar, that he's not coming in to be – this star player right away, uh, even though he's a five-star guy and even though he has a lot of accolades, I get the impression from him that, you know, he just wants to be a part of a good team. He fits U.S. really well as a receiver. Um, I think, you know, Lane Kiffin is obviously going to try to get him the ball and try to, you know, make him be a guy that is kind of that freshman star for them. But you, you can't necessarily, you know, produce that out of nowhere. I mean, you know, the – Nelson's got to be able to have talent. He's got to be able to, to do those things that he did in high school to make an impact. Um, you know, USC can't get too 
to to pigeonhole into okay we've got a big time out of state recruit so now we got to make him a no star like we we've made promises to him we have to make him a no star I think that was something that Pete Carroll got too caught up in when he was recruiting down the line I think you know a guy like Joe McKnight is an example that you know I think Joe McKnight they just they just promised him like hey you know you're gonna come here you be the next Reggie Bush and it just wasn't gonna happen he was never gonna be the next Reggie Bush he probably should have been more of the next Damian Williams or, or a receiver more than he was going to be a big-time running back for them. And so I think with Nelson Aguilar, the one mistake that USC can't make is, okay, we have to try to make this guy, you know, our big-time freshman guy because he came from out of state and we made these promises to get him. I don't, I don't really think you have to do that with Nelson Aguilar, though. I think that, again, is kind of what I'm saying. He's a guy that I think you bring in. I think he just puts his head down and, and works hard. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a guy that you have to coddle and it's going to be high maintenance and he's going to transfer because he didn't get, you know, a catch every game or, or what have it. So um, I think really for him it's just a matter of, of, you know, being a part of that receiving core, learning, and hopefully the guy that just can contribute, you know, can come in and be a fourth, third receiver for USC. And, you know, if, if somebody gets hurt, he can step up for them too. So that's really more of the comparison. De'Anthony Thomas, I, I think he's just the opposite in so many different ways. I mean, physically and, and just his style of play, but also, you know, how he handled his recruitment and, and how he was, you know, off the field with um, just, you know, the coaches and, and kind of uh, where he wanted to be and why he wanted to be there. All right, and then one last one. Greg in the OC, any Junior Day visitors we should be getting excited about? Oh, boy. Getting excited about Junior anything is, is deadly. We just talked about Kenny Bigelow. <laughs> I don't know if we get excited about Junior Day visitors. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously, Sue Cravens, um, the uh, 6'2", uh, he's about 195 right now, uh, safety slash linebacker slash receiver, from uh, Vista Marietta High School, uh, ranked the top player in California right now um, as a junior, is going to be there. He's been uh, unofficially to USC a couple times um, since New Year's, and, and it looks like USC is in a good position for him. He's not going to commit early. He wants to go through the process. He, he wants to take his visits. He wants to basically be a process guy. So I wouldn't expect anything really breaking from him early. You know, Max Redfield, uh, the 6'395 pound safety from Mission Viejo, is going to be there. Uh, he's a really good player. He's got a scholarship offer from USC already. Um, they're going to have a few different guys there. They're going to have a couple guys coming from uh, up north. You know, Mike Hutchings is going to be a guy that uh, is, is, you know, a big-time player. He's already got an offer, being recruited by a bunch of different schools. Another guy that kind of talked early in the process about maybe committing early, he was down to Cal and USC at that point. Cal and USC are still his top two with Washington, really trying to make a, a push now that they hired Tosh LePoy. Um, but uh, he's going to be there at the visit uh, for, for Junior Day. Don't expect a, a commitment from him either. I, I mean, you know, there's always that slight possibility that the kid just feels it and he decides. But right now, USC is going to have this Junior Day with a lot of guys uh, on the staff that, that are maybe not going to be there. I shouldn't say a lot of guys, but, you know, Joel Berry, it sounds like he's going to go to the San Diego Chargers as a linebacker coach, obviously a, a big part of, of that recruiting staff and the coaching staff. Um, they don't have a defensive backs coach still. Uh, it's going to be interesting. They're just going to have a few guys that aren't going to be around. So, you know, how are you going to get a commitment for Michael Hutchins when you don't have um, – uh, an actual uh, linebacker coach, you know, so <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of tough. So um, I don't know if there's going to be a ton of news from the junior day. I think USC kind of got in a spot last year where they offered too many guys early and you got guys like Jordan Payton and you guys got, you know, uh, Jadon Mickens who ended up being committed early. And those guys, you know, obviously at the end of the day kind of ended up getting, um, 
well, they ended up parting ways with USC, let's just say that. And so I don't know if they want to get down that road where they start off with too many guys early and start taking too many early commitments. As we've seen, and this is why I say don't necessarily get excited, you know, January it seems like you hit that reset button on the recruiting process. You know, it's like all this stuff that gets um, you build up over the summer and, and, you know, you get all these commitments and then at the end of the day it's like, you know, you get after those all-star games and it's like, okay, everything starts over again. All those guys that you have committed, you better start re-recruiting them. And all the guys that you want, you better keep on recruiting them and recruiting them even harder because uh, it becomes a free-for-all. It does, and it's uh, it just starts again. The process starts all over again, and we're getting ready for that. Well, when is the junior day, Gerard? It's coming up soon, right? It's going to be Sunday, yeah. All right, so USC be hosting a bunch of juniors on Sunday. It should be interesting to, to watch. Check out uscfootball.com. We'll certainly have lots of updates of players that have been there and what's been going on. But, again, Gerard, we uh, – Went a little bit over an hour. I guess we had to, to recap everything from signing day. But thanks again for uh, coming on the show. We always look forward to talking to you. Uh, I appreciate you having me, as always. And um, I'm just glad that uh, we got to 2012 put to bed, for the most part. And, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody talks about the craziness of signing day. I don't know. It's just this craziness of USC football. I think uh, now we've got uh, the talk of Joe Barry not being a part of the staff and that's going to be an interesting domino effect to see what happens with those two spots open on the defensive staff. Does USC go for a coordinator type position with somebody? There's some big names out there. Uh, you know, maybe bring back some old names that could be in the mix for that linebacker job. You never know. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for all that. And uh, just a little clean up some stuff here. We're not going to do a live Ustream show tomorrow on Wednesday. We do have a show scheduled for next Wednesday. And as of now, we have a, a huge superstar lined up for that show, so we'll give you more information about that. But one of the big-time uh, USC football players will be joining on our next live show. So stay tuned for that. Thanks very much for tuning in to the Trojan Recruiting Blast. This is part of the Peristyle Podcast on peristylepodcast.com. Thanks to Gerard Martinez and everyone out there listening. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.